Last evening, I was here at the church, and the events yesterday were just coming in so fast. It was shocking. President Trump, Melania Trump, his wife, both tested positive for coronavirus. And then last night as the choir, we had a small choir practice here last night. As they were practicing, news came in. The president has been taken to the hospital. Walter Reed Medical Center. They said for shortness of breath, fever, and lots of fatigue. And immediately I had to stop writing the sermon and we came in here and I broke the news to the choir and we all knelt down and prayed for the President of the United States. And I'd like to ask you to continue to pray for him. Because if something were to happen to the president at a time like this, I mean, our nation could just be thrown into chaos. We're just over four weeks to an election. And perhaps one of the most contested, I mean, divisive, tumultuous elections that maybe we have ever faced. I thought as I was writing this sermon that our choices in the election were just two, right? Donald Trump, Joe Biden, and I guess there might be a few that would vote for Kanye West. But with the news last night, suddenly a whole another gamut opened up. Now things, just to be clear, things are looking positive for the president. And, uh, and we praise the Lord for that. It seems like the therapies he, they're giving him are working well, that his symptoms are dropping. Praise the Lord, keep praying. But if something were to happen to Trump, and we're praying nothing happens, but if for some reason he took a turn for the worse then Mike Pence would become president according to the 20th Amendment and would be inaugurated as the new president in 2021 if Trump had garnered the majority of votes. And so my mind started going down that train of thought. If Pence also got COVID and let's say he passed, then Nancy Pelosi would become president as the Speaker of the House is next in line. Of course, Joe Biden could win, and then there would be a transition to his administration, but Joe Biden is older than Trump, 79. And it's possible that something could happen to him, in which case, if he was elected president and then he passed, Kamala Harris would become president. There are just so many options, and I I can't think of a time where there has been so much uncertainty about the office of the president so close to an election with so many possible and real scenarios that could take place. Now, I'm not saying that all of those are the most likely scenario, but I'm saying they're on the table right now. And as a Christian, looking at all of this, 
you should be settled in your heart to be at peace no matter which way it turns. If Trump is elected, as a Christian, we can say, Amen, Lord, and let it be so. If Biden wins, we can say, Amen, Lord, and let it be so. If Pence has to assume the presidency, we will say, Amen, Lord, and let it be so. And if by slim chances, Nancy Pelosi or Kamala Harris find their way into the presidency, we will be at peace and say, Amen, Lord, and let it be so. Now, we're talking about people who hold radically different views from one another. Two of these individuals, Trump and Biden, hurled insults at one another in perhaps the most unpresidential debate ever broadcast. And so you may be asking yourself, how can I say amen, Lord, and let it be if a candidate that holds an extremely opposite view to my view assumes power as our president? Which is exactly why I'm preaching this sermon this morning. And I'll be talking the rest of October about things that deal with our government and elections. Another topic that I'll be bringing up um, two weeks from today is should a Christian vote? Should a Seventh-day Adventist vote? Uh, what is our duty as far as taxes are concerned? Should we pay taxes as a Christian? We're going to be looking at that in three weeks. But if the candidate that you didn't want in gets into office, who holds the extremely opposite views to your view, how would you respond? Perhaps there will be some who will take up signs and chant like they did four years ago, not my president, refusing to accept an election that didn't go their way. Perhaps some will quit their jobs, sell their homes, and move out of the country like some did four years ago, running from a leader they don't like. Perhaps some will join the grumbling multitude and bitterly spread their complaints and anger and insults on social media as we have seen take place over the last four years. Perhaps some will join the rioters in the streets and add to the chaos of an already divided country, and this is already taking place in cities across America. But today, I'm telling you that if you're a Christian, you'll do none of these things. If you are a Christian on election day... And on Inauguration Day, you will look into the eyes of your new president and you'll say to the Lord, Amen, Lord. And so let it be. Why? Why would a Christian do such a thing as this? Because Christians look at leaders, elections, ruling powers, and those in positions of authority through a very different lens than the rest of the world. Romans chapter 13 verse 1 says, let every soul. Now how many souls do we have here today? Are you a soul? Okay. Yeah. In other translations, let every person. How many persons do we have here today? Are you a person? Okay. This text applies to you. Let every soul 
be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. And the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Now let that sobering statement sink in just now. And realize that when Paul wrote this statement, he wasn't approaching an election. He was living under a dictatorship. Under perhaps the most wicked emperor to have ever assumed power in Rome. Nero Claudius Caesar. And when Paul wrote Romans during his brief stay in the city of Corinth, Nero had already been reigning as emperor for three years. Nero was one-third the age of Paul. Paul was 60. Nero was his junior at 20. Paul had every reason to not encourage people to accept Nero's rule. Number one, Nero was young, inexperienced, a third the age of Paul. Number two, Nero wasn't even a Christian. Far from it. Nero was an enemy of Christians. Number three, historians all generally describe his reign as tyrannical, extravagant, and filled with debauchery. He was so corrupt, he murdered his own mother, and historians are baffled because there's no apparent reason or advantage to him have killing his own mother. We might as well say that he was insane. At one point, Nero dressed himself up as a bride and married a man who was part of something called the filthy herd. Nero became more and more tyrannical the older he got and is the only emperor known to have committed suicide while in office. And of course, he is known for blaming Christians for having burned Rome to make room for his palace expansion and then blamed Christians for the role, for the whole incident, putting them to death. Eusebius even tells us that it was Nero who cut off the head of the Apostle Paul. Nero. Nero's in power. Paul is writing Romans. In just a few years' time, Nero will be responsible for cutting off Paul's own head. And Paul brings out through his pen and paper a message to the entire church. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Seems so unfair, so unjust to say, be subject to the governing authorities when this is the governmental leader you have in office. But Paul didn't invent this idea. In fact, the idea that God is the one who places people in positions of authority and that we should respect and serve with integrity under any and every administration is an idea that traces it itself all the way back to Old Testament times. Daniel, you remember Daniel, right? Daniel, what administration did he live under? Not just Babylon. Medo-Persia as well. I mean, he lived through two administrations, and those administrations were warring against one another. And yet he was faithful under the one leader and faithful under the other. We could almost label them as Republicans and Democrats. 
You could say Daniel served as a true Christian when the president was Republican and he served as a true Christian when the president was Democrat and it really didn't matter to Daniel who was in power because his ultimate authority was God. Right? And he's shown as a star amidst the darkness and corruption of that age whoever was in power. And it was recognized by both powers. Daniel lived under the rule of Nebuchadnezzar, the one who burned his own city, took him as a slave to Babylon, castrated him and his three friends, ordered in a rage that his three friends be thrown into a fiery furnace. Under this Nebuchadnezzar's government, the prophet Daniel had this to say about God and kings. Daniel 2, verse 21. And he changes the times and the seasons. He, God, removeth kings and setteth up kings. He giveth wisdom unto the wise and knowledge to them that know understanding. To the one who burned down his hometown, he enslaved him and brought him to Babylon. He said to that one, God is the one who, set, who's, who can take you down. God is the one who has set you up. And put you in a position of authority. In fact, this is the whole purpose of the dream given to Nebuchadnezzar. To reveal that God decides the king and the kingdom that will rule at each time. Now we read and preach and teach the dream of Daniel 2 as evidence that the Bible can be trusted. Because it accurately foretells the future. But an even greater message than that is that God doesn't just know the future, He controls the future. He moves the future. Daniel repeats this message to King Nebuchadnezzar in a second dream that he has in Daniel chapter 4. Nebuchadnezzar's dream dreams about a tree that is spread out over the earth. And at some point, that tree is cut down and a band is placed about the stump of that tree for seven years. And Daniel comes in and he explains and interprets the dream and he tells Nebuchadnezzar that the dream is a revelation that he will lose his kingdom and his mind for seven years and then the kingdom will be restored to him. But notice what Daniel adds as the critical, most important, most central message to this whole dream. What is the one thing that Nebuchadnezzar is supposed to get out of this second dream that Daniel interprets? And we're now in Daniel chapter 4 and notice what it says. Daniel 4 verse 32. And they shall drive you from men and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and they shall make thee to eat grass as oxen, and seven times shall pass over thee until, until thou know, now we're coming to the climax, until thou know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men, and giveth it to whomsoever he will. The whole point of Daniel chapter 2 in the statue in the dream is that God sets up kings and God takes down kings, but ultimately it is God who knows the future and controls the future. And now we get to Daniel 4 and here's another dream. And the whole point of this second dream is, hey, Nebuchadnezzar, in case you forgot Daniel 2, 
God still sets up kings and takes down kings. And in case you don't believe it, he's going to take you out for seven years. And then he's going to put you who went crazy and nobody thought would ever return to the throne. You he's going to take after seven years and restore you to the kingdom. Why? Because there is a God who knows the future, but doesn't just know the future. He controls the future. He know, God doesn't just know who's going to become president. God controls who fills the office of president. Daniel chapter 4, verse 17, this decision is by the decree of watchers and the sentence by the word of the holy ones in order that the living may know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of what? He rules in the kingdom of men. He rules. Gives it to what? Whomever He will and sets over it the lowest of men. Now someone may say, But this was just Paul and Daniel. They were mistaken. They were just talking about kings back then. But but we're in a new day and age. We're in the 21st century. I, I mean, presidents are elected nowadays. But before you dismiss Paul and Daniel... Let's turn now to the wisest king that ever lived, King Solomon, and see what wisdom has to say about this in Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 8, verse 15, it says, By me kings reign, and princes decree justice. By me princes rule, and nobles even all the judges of the earth. Yes, In this chapter, Solomon is talking about wisdom. But all wisdom comes from God, and it is He who gives the wisdom which elevates one king or prince or ruler or leader and demotes another king or prince or ruler or leader. The wisdom of Solomon agrees with Daniel and Paul, and the greatest king of ancient Israel also agrees. Because in Psalms, David has this to say. King David says in Psalm 75, verses 6 through 7, For exaltation comes neither from the east, nor from the west, nor from the south. But God is the judge. He puts down one and he exalts another. And this is why the Apostle John rightly labels Jesus the Son of God and the highest authority of them all by saying in Revelation 19 verse 16, And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And the reason he can bear that title is because he is the one who sets up kings and takes down kings. He is King of kings and Lord of of lords, because Jesus is the true king over all kings, the true president over all presidents, the true leader over every other ruler or leader. He has the power to set them up and he has the power to take them down. And when we accept the next president to sit in the Oval Office and say, Amen, Lord, and so let it be, we are declaring that Jesus is king of presidents. And that by his authority, someone has been raised or allowed to be raised into such a position for such a time as this. 
So Paul is simply echoing a truth found all through Scripture, both in the Old and New Testament, a truth that has been held by all of God's people from David to Daniel in the Old Testament, from Paul to John in the New. Jesus is the true King and all authority is from Him. But it's not just presidents. Listen again to what Paul said. Romans chapter 13 and verse 1. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. Or as the King James puts it, to the powers. This is not just presidential powers, but anyone who holds an office with judicial power, the power to make and, exec- or and execute laws. Judicial power. Can those... But can those in, in the office, in their office of uh, authority, can those in, in leading offices abuse their powers? Can they enact laws which as Christians we cannot abide under? Yes, they can. God places men in positions of authority, but he doesn't take away their choice. They can choose to fill that position to His glory and honor, or they can choose to fill that position for their own selfish purposes. And just because someone in authority chooses to fill a position not to the glory and honor of God does not mean that God has not put them there. Daniel chapter 3 Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah stand together on the plain of Dura against the law of the king. That law said that they should bow to a golden statue. They risked their lives in defiance of the law of authority, of the king's law, for they could not go against a higher authority, God's law. And God's law says, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not bow down to them nor worship them. And they declared by standing that there is a king over kings and a lord over lords. In Daniel chapter 6, Darius makes a law prohibiting anyone to worship any god except the king for 30 days. Now, this was not a law mandating that you worship the king, at least as I read it, but simply that you refrain from worshiping any other god for 30 days with the one exception that you could worship the king. Put your religious commitments aside for 30 days. Don't worship God for 30 days. Close down your church for 30 days. Don't do what God has told you to do just for 30 days. We're not talking forever, just 30 days. But Daniel's commitment to the king of Persia was superseded by his commitment to the king of kings who rules over all creation. And once again, Daniel did uh, disobeyed an earthly law at the threat of death in order to keep a heavenly law. Acts chapter 4, now we're in the New Testament. Peter and John are commanded to stop holding evangelistic meetings. We're in Acts chapter 4 and verse 18. And they called them and commanded them not to speak at all nor teach in the name of Jesus. Do you think anybody would say something like that in 2020? 
You think anybody would chase you down the street, throwing your great controversy in the middle of the road, telling you, as a Christian, you're to blame for all the trouble in the world? So they called them and commanded them, don't speak at all in the name of Jesus. And by the way, Satan wouldn't use threats if there were some Christians who didn't respond to those threats. God wants you to take every threat, every fear that you have to Him in prayer. Say, Lord, give me confidence to stand where you have placed me. Give me confidence to continue to knock on doors. Though they take a pistol and wave it at me through the door, though they throw my books in the streets, I do it for you, Lord. And by the way, Jesus said, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Why are the laborers few? Because when the Lord says, come and work for me, we find a reason to respond, no. It's not going to be easy to knock on doors. It's not going to be easy to share your faith and move forward. But God is going to be with you and there is a, by going and moving forward, you proclaim in your own life that there is a king over kings in your life who holds sway over you and that you must obey his command. And so they called them and commanded them, don't speak at all or teach in the name of Jesus. I want you to notice something here. They are not being forbidden to practice their religion privately. They're not being told to stop gathering together for church. The devil will change his tactics. They're simply being told, don't preach the gospel out there. Don't go and tell others publicly about Jesus. If you just stop sharing Jesus with people, we won't trouble you. But Peter and John had been given a higher command by one who rules over those who ruled over the, over the church. In Mark chapter 16, verses 15 through 16, Jesus said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. Satan has always sought to work through those in positions of power to oppose God's people. And was trying to work through the local authorities during the time of Peter and John to stop the spread of God's work. And they knew if we just, if we command them to shut down their church, that's not going to work. If we throw them in prison, they have the favor of the people. That's not going to work. So what are we going to do? We're just going to tell them, stop holding evangelistic meetings. You need to realize, and we need to realize, that elections are not between Republicans and Democrats. Yes, there's Republicans and Democrats and independence, and I guess now there's a new party called the birthday party. But in every election and in every contest, in every war, 
in every dispute that threatens to divide homes and churches and nations, there are spiritual powers that are working behind the scenes. And we have to realize that in this presidential election that's coming up, there are spiritual powers that are working behind the scenes. Ephesians 6 verse 12 says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. So here is the balance that Christians must walk. Submit to authority without compromising our obligation, commitment, and submission to God as the higher authority. What was Peter and John's response? Acts chapter 4, verse 19 through 20. Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, you can judge, judge ye. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. In Patriarchs and Prophets, page 719, Ellen White speaks in agreement with Old and New Testament by saying that David's power, this is King David, David's power had been what? Given him by God. But to be exercised only in harmony with the divine law. When he commanded that which was contrary to God's law, it became sin to obey. Romans 13.1, she quotes, The powers that be are ordained of God, but we are not to obey them contrary to God's law. The Apostle Paul, writing to the Corinthians, sets forth the principle by which we should be governed. He says, Be ye followers of me, even as I am of Christ. In Testimonies, Volume 5, page 713, it says, When the laws of earthly rulers are brought into opposition to the laws of the supreme ruler of the universe, then those who are God's loyal subjects will be true to Him. There's a balance that a Christian must have. Number one, we must recognize the laws of the land and obey them as far as they do not conflict with God's requirements for His people. God's law, God's authority, God's claim over us is higher than any earthly authority. But, number two, we must not use our religion as a cloak to disobey the laws of the land to suit our own convenience. I uh, once met somebody who said, I don't need to obey the speed limit sign because that's man's laws. Well, yes, but God tells us that we need to obey man's laws as long as they don't conflict with God's laws. And there's no law of God that says you need to be there five minutes sooner. So you got to obey man's laws. 
Paul gives this striking warning for anyone who would willfully rebel against authorities, rulers, and yes, presidents. Romans 13, verse 2, he says, Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God. And those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. We should listen and obey those who rule over us because to disobey would result in judgment. Well, whose judgment will we receive? Is Paul talking about God's judgment or man's judgment? And I submit to you he's talking about both. Those who disobey the laws of the land will be subject to the penalties of the land. And if they disobeyed those laws for selfish interests, then they will be subject to God's penalties as well. For Paul says in Romans 13, verse 4, For he is God's minister to you for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid, for he beareth not the sword in vain. For he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. In other words, God has allowed and set up kings and kingdoms to be a hedge against abuse. The government is a restraining power and really a help in many ways to move people towards righteousness and justice. I'm amazed at how when how many times I've heard of individuals who until they were caught by the law lived lawless lives and then the law caught up to them and they were shackled against their own will and put in prison and there in prison they found Jesus and why did they find Jesus in prison because God's minister caught up to them and administer justice. And they were prevented from continuing down that sinful course. And let me tell you something about sin. Once you start, you don't want to stop. I mean, you may want to stop, but you can't. Because the Bible tells us that once you start in sin, you become a slave to sin. So those who start shoplifting, it becomes easier to shoplift again and again and again and again until they hit the brick wall of God's minister which is government authority in the form usually of somebody with in a blue uniform and a badge and handcuffs. And then they go to prison. And, and even if they want to shoplift, they can't because there's nothing to shoplift except to shoplift from themselves, you know, because they're in their own cell. And... And, and so they can't do what they normally were doing. And so they're sitting there and the conviction of the Holy Spirit comes upon them. And they begin seeing things from a different angle than they saw before from when they were in that rut of sin. And there in that dark cell in some prison or jail somewhere, they say, you know what, I need to change my life. And somebody from Stone Tower holds a service in the jails. And they come to that service and say, I need to give my life to the Lord. And we find out that the very government who perhaps we didn't want to vote for, but the very government 
was the means by which God was able to get a hold of this person and bring them to the truth. You see, what Paul is saying is that the government is a hedge that institutes laws that hold people back from committing um, crimes. Think about this. Has God said we should not steal or murder? Yes, of course. And whether the governor is Democrat or Republican, whether the president is Democrat or Republican, they hold up that law. They execute that law. Paul recognizes these benefits. And by the way, it's not just the person who is thrown in prison who is benefited by these laws. But the shop owner who kept getting his his masks stolen every week. He also has benefited, right? Paul recognizes these benefits and says in Romans 13 and verse 3, For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. Whoever becomes president, whether we agree with their policies or not, we can all agree that God can bring a blessing to his people through them, and God does. The Bible says that God can turn the heart of a king like he turns a river of water. Proverbs 21 and verse 1 says, The king's heart is in the hand of who? The Lord. As the rivers of water, he turneth it whithersoever he will. I want you to think about this. Let's say the candidate that you least want to get into office gets into office. Now, the reason I'm guessing you don't want that person to get into office is because of the policies that they hold or maybe the character that they portray. Can God change someone's policies? Can he change their character? How do we know? Well, number one, Proverbs tells us the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. And I want you to know that every person who's been, ever been inaugurated has gone through a battle. Satan has tried to pull them one way. And Christ, through the prayers of his people, has been trying to pull the heart of the president another way. We see this in Daniel chapter 10. Daniel chapter 10 and verse 13 says, But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me twenty-one days, and behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I had been left alone there with the kings of Persia. Think about this. The king of Persia had made up his mind and was under the influence of a satanic demon who had such a hold on him that for 21 days the angels of heaven battled and could not prevail with the king of Persia until Michael the prince came. A reference to Jesus, king of kings who came and overturned the battle in the mind of the king, and his policy was influenced and changed in favor of God's people. 
Reflecting Christ, page 201, Ellen White says, I am bidden to call upon the churches to awake out of sleep. We must contend with invisible supernatural foes. We are to put on the whole armor of God that we may be prepared for the battles we have daily to fight. I call upon those who have received light and knowledge to pray most earnestly and to come up to the help of the Lord, to the help of the Lord against the mighty. Who are these mighty foes? They are the powers who in the days of Daniel hindered the heavenly messengers from convincing the king of Persia of the work he was to do. Now we could, I'm just saying, I'm just saying, we could spend our time holding signs, chanting, not my president. We could do that. We could go out and riot with the rest of the rioters. We could, we could do that. That's how, that's, that we, we could respond that way in four weeks' time. We could respond by typing away on Facebook saying, can you believe the sort of person who was just elected president? Our nation has gone completely insane. We could do that. But if you're a Christian, that's not what you're going to do. If you are a true Christian, the way that you will respond to the elections looks something like this. You will be on your knees praying for whoever it is that God will guide them. That God will move upon their hearts and bring, bring whoever is president to a place where through their governing, God's people will have peace and his message will go forward and, and God's church will prosper and that Jesus will come soon. Prophets and Kings, page 572, this was a time of wonderful opportunity for the Jews. The highest agencies of heaven were working on the hearts of kings. And it was for the people of God to labor with the utmost activity to carry out the decree of Cyrus. Now I'm going to give you an, another quote. This is Lift Him Up, page 370. It's a long quote, but stay with me as we read it together. We have before us in the Word of God instances of heavenly agencies working on the minds of kings and rulers, while at the same time satanic agencies were also at work on their minds. No human eloquence in strongly set forth human opinions can change the working of satanic agencies. Did you catch that? That means I go and I lobby I lobby for what I want to see being done here. I lobby. No human eloquence, she says, can overturn the satanic influence that is working on these kings. Satan seeks continually to block the way so that the truth shall be bound about by human devising. And those who have light and knowledge are in the greatest danger unless they constantly consecrate themselves to God humiliating self, and realizing the peril of the times. Heavenly beings are appointed to answer the prayers of those who are working unselfishly for the interests of the cause of God. The very highest angels in the heavenly courts are appointed to work out the prayers which ascend to God for the advancement of the cause of God. 
Pause right there. The very what? The very highest what? Angels are appointed to answer whose prayers? Your prayers. Your prayers make a difference. Your prayers send angels from the court of God to the side of governmental leaders and they contend over their souls. You want to see a change in the country? You want to see a change in Portland? You will hear on Facebook, you will hear on TV, you will hear all over that the way that you make the greatest change is to get out and vote. And I'm going to tell you just the opposite. The way that you make the greatest change is to pray that Christ wins the victory in that person's heart. In that person's life. And when angels which excel in strength do battle in their lives, a change can be made. Mark Finley tells a story of being called in to counsel uh, for a president who was deeply battling between two opinions. I sat and listened to him in one of his classes tell this story. He said he had been preaching evangelistic meetings and he was well known and they brought him in. The president called him in. He came in. This isn't the president of the United States. I can't remember which country, but he came in and he sat down and he said he was visibly exhausted. He hadn't slept for days. And he, was, he had to make the most crucial decisions. And Pastor Finley said that the president asked, can you pray for me? And he laid his hands on him and prayed for him. And he said, after that prayer, the anxiety melted from that president's face. Um... You can make a difference through your prayers. She continues, each angel has his particular post of duty, which he is not permitted to leave for any other place. If he should leave, the powers of darkness would gain an advantage. Day by day, the conflict between good and evil is going on. Why is it that those who have had many opportunities and advantages do not realize the intensity of this work? They should be intelligent in regard to this. God is the ruler. By His supreme power, He holds in check and controls earthly potentates. Through His agencies, He does the work which was ordained before the foundation of the world. As a people... We do not understand as we should the great conflict going on between invisible agencies, the controversy between loyal and disloyal angels. Evil angels are constantly at work planning their line of attack, controlling as commanders, kings, and rulers the disloyal human forces. I call upon the ministers of Christ to press home upon the understanding of all who come within the reach of their voice. The truth of the ministration of angels. And this, my friends, is why the Bible calls upon Christians to not criticize leaders, but to earnestly pray for them. Pray for the next president of the United States. 
pray for the policies they hold. That those policies will be in harmony with the Word of God and will advance His mission, His kingdom, His work. Pray that God would overrule all things. Doesn't matter so much whether a Democrat or a Republican gets in as much as it matters that whoever gets in is placed there by God and influenced by God through the prayers of His people. 1 Timothy 2, 1-4 through 4, I exhort therefore that first of all supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. For kings and for all that are in authority that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. We will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. I'm going to take you to just a couple other verses and then we're going to come to a close. This next verse in Jeremiah. He is speaking... about when God's people are placed under a government that they specifically do not like, do not want. And notice what Jeremiah says through the inspiration of the Lord. When you're placed in that position, it says, Seek the peace of the city, whether I have caused you to be carried away captive. And pray unto the Lord for it. For in the peace thereof shall ye have peace. We need to pray for our country. And we need to pray for all our leaders. The last way in which we should respond to the next president of the United States as a Christian is to determine in our heart that rather than tear a person down publicly or even within our own minds and hearts, we will show their position and their personhood honor just as we would want others who see us in our positions to show us respect and honor. Ecclesiastes chapter 10 verse 20 says, Curse not the king. No, not even in thy thought. And curse not the rich in thy bedchamber. For a bird of the air shall carry the voice. And that which hath wings shall tell the matter. And then 1 Peter 2 verse 17. Honor all men. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the king. Is there a way that a Christian can respond to the election that is happening in four weeks? Absolutely, friends. And how we respond really sends a message to the world about our character, about where we are focusing our lives right now, and who truly is King of Kings. So the question to you this morning, in four weeks' time, no matter who is elected, are you committed to responding to this election as a Christian?
and on election day and on inauguration day, will you look into the eyes of your new president and will you say to the Lord, Amen, Lord, and let it be. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Together as a church, we don't want to pass up this opportunity to lift up the current president of the United States. We ask that you would be with him and help him to recover according to your will from the recent illness. I pray that you would be with each one of the doctors who are attending him and treating him. I pray, Lord, that you would strengthen him. And with all of my brothers and sisters here, we want to ask that an angel or angels in high authority would come from heaven to his side and move upon his heart and mind. We ask, Lord, that you would win the battle in his life. And that his policies and thoughts and character would be influenced by you so that we might have time to continue to share the gospel, that we might live in peace, that your church would prosper under his administration, and that we might continue to live under your, um, your law. And Lord, we pray for the other candidates who are also um, seeking the presidency. We pray for Joe Biden and his vice president, Kamala Harris. We pray for the Speaker of the House. And Mike Pence and others in authority, Lord, we just pray that you would move upon their hearts. We ask for a peaceful election and a peaceful transition of power. We pray, Lord, that you would oversee this whole ordeal that is coming up in four weeks. We ask that somehow your hand can be seen and we pray for ourselves, Lord. That you would help us to be willing to submit and to glorify your name no matter which administration gets in. I pray that you would be King of kings and Lord of lords in our life. And help us to honor you through our own individual response. We thank you for hearing our prayer. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.